Today's episode of Outside the Rack is brought to you by Kinetic Performance, the makers of the GymAware. In today's world of strength and conditioning, data collections become the utmost of importance, and that's exactly where GymAware separates itself from the competition. Because when we're sitting there and looking to collect data, what data are you actually collecting? And are the numbers you're looking at fitting into the exercises that you're utilizing? And even more so, are they going to answer the questions that you're looking for? Looking at different ways that you are moving the barbell through peak and mean, both velocity and power, is really what separates GymAware from the competition. Being able to understand what your ballistic exercises are doing separate to what your strength exercises are doing really allows you to program at a much more specific level for your athletes. So hop on over to kinetic.com.au to see what Evan and his team have in store for you today. The world of strength and conditioning is filled with some fantastic practitioners that are always searching for more. But more what? What are strength and conditioning coaches searching for to better their ability to prepare their athletes? Well, what about cutting-edge information or a place where you can find different opinions from forward-thinking coaches on what you're doing, how you're doing, and try to get feedback to be better for your athletes? Or what about a place where you'll find like-minded coaches that can provide solid coaching advice and career development for you as you progress through your career as a strength and conditioning professional? Well, this is exactly why we built the Strength Coach Network. You'll have access to exclusive monthly content on top of the sensationally active forum that we have where you can communicate with coaches all over the world to find those answers that you're looking for to help you be a better practitioner for your athletes. So make sure you hop on over to strengthcoachnetwork.com slash CVASPS, that's strengthcoachnetwork.com slash C-V-A-S-P-S, and get your 48-hour trial for only a dollar. I look forward to seeing you in the Strength Coach Network. What's up, everybody, and welcome to the 53rd episode of Outside the Rack, brought to you by Kinetic Performance, the makers of GymAware. In this show, we're just going to try to dive a little deeper into the minds of the top practitioners in the world of sport performance to learn a little bit more about who they actually are and how they got to where they are today. Today, we are joined by Texas Christian University Senior Assistant Strength and Conditioning Coach, Zach Dakin. Zach, thanks for being with us, brother. Yeah, I appreciate it, Jay. It's always a, always a pleasure to be talking to you. Yeah, man, I'm fired up for this. It's always fun to, to chop it up. and we, we tend to have conversations that don't always necessarily revolve around training anyway, so I'm actually excited for these three questions, but before we go too far into this, man, who is Zach? Yeah, so um, uh, like, I, like you said, I'm a strength coach at uh, TCU now for 13 years. Uh, never thought I would be in one spot for you young strength coaches. You never think you're going to be in one spot. I've been here for 13 years, and it's been incredible. Um, director for baseball, strength and conditioning. I handle the internships here with us, and then um, um, at times, depending on the year, uh, we have to uh, assist with football a little bit, so I still have my foot in that, uh, in that, you know, in that sport just a little bit, but uh, yeah, we're uh, trying to make, make do with what uh, we have right now during COVID, right? We talked about that earlier and it's, it's been a stressful couple of weeks. I'll be honest with, uh, with camps going on, with school starting, it's been real stressful, but we're getting along. That's awesome, man. Yeah. You know, I don't think anybody that has had kind of a long seat at the same place, plans on it when they go in but uh I think it's better than the alternative yeah I I honestly when you 
when you go to a school, when I first came to TCU, I was like, you know, I'll be here three, four, maybe five years. We'll see what happens. And, and then you just expect to move on as a young strength coach. My first three years in strength and conditioning, I lived at 13 different addresses. Right. And so you, it's just nature. You just know you're going to move. And that's what I expected, but um, things just kept, you know, going on the up and up here. And, and uh, to be honest, I don't know if I'll ever leave Fort Worth, Texas. Yeah, man. Well, I hope I hope you can stay there as long as you want because you got you guys are cooking down there with ball and you got a great thing going. So that's freaking awesome. Yeah, the the uh, honestly, the city's awesome. The university is awesome. The people I work for are awesome. Um, and it when you find that combination, really, it's it's tough to let that go, right? Um, and there's been spots where the money has been the money's been better, right? And um, the money is not what's important uh, at a certain point in your life, to be honest. And, and uh, those other three factors weigh in a little bit more than the money does right now. Yeah. You know, and I think that that's a great lesson for the younger coaches out there. It's, it's like when you have a good situation, like you have to make sure that you're leaving for a great situation. Right. And that's exactly it. And, and I don't want to be the guy that takes the job for, you know, 10, 20, 30, $30,000 more, whatever the case is. And in two years, I'm looking for a job. Now I'm working at a high school, you know, trying to make ends meet or whatever the case is. Um, I, I don't want to be job hopping when I have a, a stable career here. I, it's, it's just, uh, it's too good. I can't, I can't take that risk. No doubt. Man. I think that that's the big word is job hopping versus having a career. Right. And you, you find stability. You have to, to me in, in strength and conditioning, when you find stability, you have to latch onto it because it's not that often that you find it. Right. Um, I've got mentors that I respect the heck out of and are the greatest strength coaches in the world, in my opinion, but it's strength and conditioning. It's two years here. It's one year here. I, I haven't got a job. I haven't found something for a year. So I got to pick up something. Then it's three years over here. And I know these guys are excellent strength coaches, but that's just the field of strength and conditioning. So I always told myself when I find stability, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to have to latch onto it. And my stability was uh, at TCU. That's rad dude. But is it, you know, just because you've been in the same spot, you're still a big time student of the game. You're still trying to, to grow and learn and, and share, like you share a ton of awesome stuff. So I'm actually really fired up to get into question one here. If you wouldn't mind, please describe for us a learning situation that brought about an epiphany in your career. Yeah, so it was um, a head coach that actually said something to me. We were in the office on a Saturday, and, and uh, obviously my attitude or something was bad. Um, he was asking me to do something either later that day in the evening or Sunday or something like that. And he turned and looked at me, and he said, why is every strength coach that I've ever met, why do they hate the world? Why do they resent the world, right? And it was an eye-opening moment for me at the time because I was letting other people dictate my attitude of sorts. Um, I came up in strength and conditioning. I, I shouldn't say I came up in strength and conditioning, but strength coaches, all, honestly, a lot of time have a pissed off outlook at the world, right? Because you don't think anybody gives a shit about your field or your, your career. They don't care about the athletes, right? The sport coaches don't care what you think. 
And so we always had this, this angry attitude at the world, like everybody was against us. And it was that moment when I decided I was letting other people dictate my attitude. Um, and I couldn't let that happen anymore. And other people, it was other strength coaches, right. That, that had taught me that, Oh, you know, don't, don't, uh, don't be with sport coaches. You know, they, they're out to fire you. They're out to do this. They don't want anything to do with strength conditioning. They hate this. You know, I was letting other people dictate my attitude and it was the worst decision of my career. And it was at that moment when he said that to me, to be honest, it pissed me off. But then I, I took that in and I realized, man, I've got to change my attitude because the perception that I am to him is absolutely nothing. And to be honest, that's what created the stability. When I changed my attitude and said, it's going to be us, it's going to be me and sport coaches and our entire program is one versus me trying to dictate, Hey, you guys are doing things wrong. Or, you know, I want to do this. Why can't we do this? And, and they don't agree. We all have those situations. Right. But it was then when I said, okay, this has to be me with them and not me against them or them against me. And that, that, that was the outlook strength coaches always have. Maybe it's not so bad anymore, but as I came up in the field, that was, that was the outlook that I honestly found everywhere I went. So changing that was the biggest step for me. I dig it, man. I think that, uh, you know, all of us have had that kind of moment where we've gone from like the, the angry, meatheady, I, I don't know what else you would call it. Yeah, uh, they're like jerk. Right? Yeah. You're resentful to everybody because you think, you know, well, I don't get paid enough. I work way longer hours than you guys. I see every athlete all the time. You know, you guys are on vacation and this and that. I'm stuck here in the summers working with the kids. And you resent everybody for it. And that's how I was as a young strength coach. That's honestly how I was taught to be in a way. And it was that moment when I got called out that I, that I decided to change. And it was for the better. The best advice I could give any strength coach. Don't let others dictate your attitude. Dude, I love it. And, and I think the idea of doing all you can to be part of the coaching team and to be part of the group and not worrying about all of these other things that we do is, is vital. You know, I think that, you know, we were talking like force plate numbers because see how they change because of running and this and that. Well, because at the end of the day, like, even ball players, like they got to be able to sprint. Like basketball players have to be able to run. Like you have to be able to do these things repeatedly so that they're prepared for practice for the coaches. And it's like, it's not because it's fun to stand out there with a stopwatch and have them run tempos on the minute. I mean, like, right. But it's because and, it's what's best for the team to move forward. Yeah. And it, and it was also kind of a, a philosophy change in a way for me because. Up to that point, I, I had always said, well, you guys are playing way too much baseball or, you know, you, you, we do way too much practice and way too much sport. And that's why this kid might have got hurt or, you know, that kid. And it was an eye opening, eye opening moment in the fact that that's not the problem. It's the fact that I, I, I have to join forces. You have to join them. Right. We're going to practice. We're going to learn our sport. And I'm 100 percent in favor of that now. I realized where I was wrong back then, but that also led to the you know, to reverse engineering the sport and building my athletes for what they got to be prepared for, for practice and then the games and, and taking all of that stuff and combining it with the sport instead of trying to 
fight the sport, right? That's what we do as strength coaches early on. Every young strength coach to me wants to fight the sport. They want to be against it instead of joining the sport and trying to, you know, give what the sport doesn't give or whatever the case is. We've got to join it, not fight it. I love it, man. I love it. And I think that leads in great to, to question two. If Zach had one question that he could ask and he knows he's going to get the answer, what is that going to be and why? Right now, it's probably how much strength is enough. It's just things that I've been diving into. Um, sometimes I think I know the answer and then there's other times that you're shocked. But I think it would be how much strength is actually adequate for our athletes in, in each sport. Um, what I'm finding with my own stuff and I've talked with Kier on uh, Strength Coach Network. We, I posted this, and I was hoping for a bunch of people to jump in and just start a big conversation. But honestly, I don't think it was just me and Kier talking back and forth. But um, I think it's way less. I think it's actually way, way less than people believe. And that's hard for us to swallow as strength coaches because we're what strength coaches, right? Everybody wants to be in the weight room. Um, but like I said, I think it's way, way less. The athletes that are incredibly strong, incredibly fast. They're efficient. They have efficient nervous systems. The reason that they're so strong is because they have a powerful nervous system, right? Um, and the athletes that don't have powerful nervous systems, we try to make up for that with increased strength. And a lot of times we'd probably be better off actually making them faster with speed, right? We believe strength is going to build speed and all this stuff. Maybe in poor, poor athletes, it does. Um, your average athletes, but in high level athletes, that nervous system is so efficient. They are strong because of the nervous system, not necessarily strong. They're not fast because they're strong, right? The nervous system provides the stimulus to everything, the speed, the strength. Um, I had this conversation. We went deep with uh, a couple of uh, former interns yesterday. And then I actually talked with a, a professional uh, a baseball coach, a director of a performance. And, and we went really really in on this strength topic and the nervous system and, and efficiency. And, you know, if you ever have a really, really, really explosive fast guy, a lot of times they're not that strong in the weight room, right? Because they've never needed to be because they're fast. They're the fastest guy in the field. They've never needed, they've never needed to say, Hey, I'm not that fast. So how do I get faster? Oh, weight room. I got to get stronger. They didn't need that. But you can see any 4-2, 4-3, 4-4 guy on a football field. If you take him in a weight room and train him for six weeks, they'll put up 450 pounds on a back squat, right? They, they might have not have ever trained in their life, but once they learn that movement, it goes up exponentially. I mean, you can take a kid in and on the first day and put 315 on their back, and I would bet that they could probably do it because their nervous system is so efficient. They have the strength. They just haven't ever displayed it in the weight room. And I think that's where we get caught up in some, you know, um, well, the weight room is the king of all and that builds speed and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So. I don't think there would ever be a way for me to agree with a statement more, especially since we just spent the last four weeks of my life, not lifting weights with a college basketball team. And it's like all of a sudden, like guys that had a hard time hitting depth, even with like a goblet squat or like, hips below the knees and like we're moving better we're jumping better we're producing force better and it's just like i don't like i i know that like people want to talk about how 
like COVID taught us that we have to do different things because the kids are detrained. And I, and I think that it really, what I was hoping it would do was help reinforce how important lifting for a group like this is. And I think that really what it's done is told me to go kick rocks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know? like, yeah. Well, it just shows you the, it, it, hopefully it shows everybody the, uh, the power of sprinting and jumping, right? Just being outside, being athletic. If the qualities you get from sprinting, jumping, the reactivity, the, the, um, the, the stiffness, everything that comes with that is strength. It re- it's still strength, right? It's just in a different format that we don't quantify. That's the only difference. People can't quantify it on a barbell. And so we, we don't view it the same. I think that that honestly might be probably the biggest 180 of my career. Now that we're just sitting here talking about it, I can't tell you how many times when I was super awful, angry Jay, that I probably got into shouting matches with people that like running didn't count as like legs, training your legs because it's not the same. I was so wrong. It's not the same, but like, and I I also would would comma and, and put the sidebar in there are some people that need the weight room for that mental aspect. And I'm not talking mental toughness. Like I've got two or three guys that like, they don't even need to lift heavy stuff. They just need to lift a bit. And they, they feel like all of a sudden, like Clark Kent turned into Superman. Sure. Which is totally different than actually training for performance in a way. Right. Because if the lump three feet above your ass is thinking things are better, it probably is. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I would agree with you there. We have the same. I, I was the same kid. I, I wanted to be in the weight room, and it made me, it made me feel invincible. But, um, yeah, the importance of sprinting and jumping can't be overdone. I, I've got a real quick funny story. When I was coming up as an intern, Charlie Francis, you know, was still alive, had his board, his website. And I can remember typing in questions to him saying, Hey man, you know, I've got my lift, my lifts all programmed. I got that down. I was doing a four day West side lift, right? Back in early two thousands, West side was all you did. I, I need some help with my sprint work. And I can remember him telling me chewing my ass in fact, and being like, Hey, you don't have your program down because a program is all encompassing. And you know, the, the sprints feed the weights and you can't be lifting four days a week with max effort and all this stuff. And then trying to sprint on these other days, it just doesn't work like that. And that was another, back to question one, another eye-opening moment for me. It's really crazy how so many of us have done the same things that we would look back at now and be like, what in the world were you thinking? <laughs> yeah. You know, like, oh man, my, my lifting progressions are great. Then I put together my conditioning progressions and then my speed progressions your agility progressions and it's like gosh how do people not just like spontaneously combust right you know it's just like so yeah the talk the talk with the uh the baseball guy yesterday was actually on how everybody wants to train in the weight room strength coaches always want to use the weight room to develop skill right or they think there's mobility problems in skill development when skill development just sucks, we just need to train the dang skill development, right? Get out of the weight room and train skill. 
we try to we try to compensate these errors in pitching and hitting and all this stuff with it's something that we can fix in the weight room when in reality it does not work like that train the skill the weight room is general thousand percent couldn't agree more. I know we're going off on a bunch of tangents. See, we've got all kinds of good stuff from what I love it, dude. This is great. <laughs> but listen, man, I know right now we're just getting back, you know, getting back to moving around. You've been getting kind of pulled in all sorts of directions down there. So I'm sure that you're actually like begging for one of these right now. But what's Zach's escape? Yeah, so for me, there's two things uh, it's the garden outside planting my vegetables, I can salsa, I can my own pickles, uh, green beans. Um, I grew up on a farm, my dad was a big gardener, so it's honestly my favorite thing to do. Um, and the second thing we've actually talked about on, we talked about it over uh, COVID was uh, the stock market. I am a stock market nut. And um, if I wasn't a strength and conditioning coach, I would be on the computer in the morning, buying, selling stock and the afternoons would be left to the garden. I actually, believe it or not, had that written down already. I, that was what my guess was going to be for your answer, was yeah. it's the, the stocks. And yes, um, How to Make Money on the Stock Market is not just what you Google. It is a book that has been recommended by this man as your starting point. Yeah. And agreed. Yes, How uh, to Make Money in Stocks. I've actually, let's see. Look at this. I got it sitting right here. How to make money in stocks. I should get a, a paycheck from these guys. Yeah, like a nickel every time they sell a book, right? <laughs> How to make money in stocks by William O'Neill. That's the first one. And then the second one is an awesome read. It's not a, it's not a big informational book, but you get a ton of information out of it, but he wrote it as he did it. And it was, um, it's called, uh, how I Made $2 Million in the Stock Market, How I Made $2 Million in the Stock Market by Nicholas Darvis. And those books together will give you everything you ever need. The stock market is nothing more than human emotion on parade. It's fear and it's greed. And if you can control your emotions, the, the amazing thing about the stock market, I get excited talking about it here. Um, the amazing thing about the stock market is it's no different than what we do on a field or, you know, in our, in our, in our careers. It's, Athletics, you have to control your emotions on the field. If you can control your emotions and follow a rule-based system, which Bill O'Neill gives you, it's easy. It's easy. That's all it is. But you have to be able to control your emotions, and people can't do that. And that's, that's, why, you, uh, that's why the stock market never follows the crowd. No, and you know who really can't control their emotions? Angry strength coaches. <laughs> Well, that's probably why I lost so much money in the first five years I started <laughs> investing. <laughs> oh, yeah, it wasn't great. It wasn't great. But, but you know, strength and conditioning, we talked about it. There's no stability. So this, this was a way that I can add stability. I can add a second income in a, in a way to, uh, to our path. I was talking about it yesterday with two of my best friends who are strength coaches at TCU also. And we, they saw me looking at charts yesterday uh, afternoon and, we started going off and talking about st the stock, the stock market and why, you know, it's, it's just, it's free money. If you can control your emotions, that's all it is. It's there. It's there for the taking. It's just moving things around. Yeah. Yeah. 
it takes some time. It's it's just like learning the strength and conditioning, right? It's just like learning how to program and how to uh, how to coach. It's going to take time to learn, but once you do, it's it's uh, it's set up for you. It's awesome, man. Zach, so glad we can get this down. So glad to see you. Glad you're doing well, man. We'll be in touch soon, brother. This is fantastic. Yeah, I always enjoy it. Let me know when you need something. Yeah, brother. Appreciate you, man. Cheers. Yep. Thanks, Jay.